We're going to read now from the Word of God, and we're turning to the Gospel according to John. Gospel according to John, and we're turning to chapter 5 of John's Gospel. Uh, And we're going to begin uh, reading in John's Gospel uh, at verse number 18. It's just after the account of the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. man who'd been crippled for many years, healed miraculously by the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Jewish leaders are angry. They're hostile to Jesus because he has healed the man and he healed him on the Sabbath. And so we pick up the record in John 5, And verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Amen. We'll end our Reading at verse 29 of John chapter 5, we pray that the Lord will bless his word to us. To his name be all the praise and all the glory. If you've been a Christian for some time, perhaps even for many years, there is a danger that you may come to undervalue God's work of salvation in your life we can begin to lose the wonder of being saved sinners. 
particularly perhaps if we have grown up in a Christian family or a Christian environment. We can perhaps begin to think, well, it wasn't as big a step for me into the kingdom as it was for some other sinners, those whose sins perhaps are very obvious and very public. Almost to begin to think it didn't take quite as much grace to save someone like me as it did to save someone else. And of course, that is a very dangerous path to tread. We may begin to forget the magnitude of the transformation that we have experienced to come from darkness to light, to be brought into the kingdom of God. We may become overly familiar with what the Lord has done in the hearts of his people and not to treasure it as we ought. Indeed, we may conceivably even come to begin to think that we made a little contribution to salvation, perhaps a very small one, but there was a little something that we were able to do that contributed, adding our effort to the work of the Holy Spirit. We can lose the wonder of salvation. We can underestimate what the Lord has done in us and for us. And so, however long we have been Christians, we need often to think again of what we have received from the Lord on the basis of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to go back, as it were, to the foundations and to remember what the Lord has done for us. I want to turn to John 5. We're thinking particularly uh, here of verse 24. John 5 and verse 24. Here uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, tells us, Truly, truly, uh, I say to you, John 5, 24, verse 25, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I want to think of that great theme today, passed from death to life. As we look at the Savior's words here in John 5, we think first of all of believing. Believing. Just in the preceding verses that we read earlier, the Lord Jesus has been speaking about the unity between Father and Son, that wonderful aspect of the doctrine of the Trinity. Verse 19 on, Father and the Son are truly one. To honor the Father is to honor the Son, and vice versa. And then in verse 24, the Lord Jesus is continuing to think of that unity between the Father and the Son. Uh, we might think he's going off in another direction. He's dealing with another subject, but he isn't. He continues in verse 24 to think of another aspect of that unity here particularly in the way in which the people of God are saved. Father and Son are at one. 
And so he says uh, here in this verse, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And there are two sides, really, of the one coin. Hearing his word, believing him who sent him. First, whoever hears my word. What word? Well, I think of the context that really is the whole message that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed. Not one specific saying or part of his teaching, but the whole message that Christ brought, the entire content of the gospel, that is his word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the final perfect prophet. The one who proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom of God, the saving reign of God. The kingdom has come, he proclaimed. And the reason is that the king himself is present in a unique way, in human flesh, in a way that had never happened before. The king has come. And a king who will suffer and die and rise again. And so he could preach the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Because the king is walking on earth to fulfill the eternal saving purpose of God. And the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is a powerful and a transforming word. Already in the record here in John 5, that word has healed the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. It has given new life to a man who had lain there year after year, who'd lost hope. And the word of Christ had transformed him. But there is a deeper and a greater transformation that the word of Christ performs. And it is a work of salvation from sin. The liberating of those who are captives to sin and to Satan and to the fear of death. There is no salvation apart from the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word that proclaims his saving work. His life and death and resurrection. And however we encounter that word. It may be reading it in scripture. Uh, it may be given to us in conversation uh, with another Christian. It may be proclaimed from a pulpit or in some other setting. It is essential that sinners hear that gospel message. It is the word of life. Apart from the word of Christ, there is no salvation. A transforming word that gives new life to those dead in their sins. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. We must accept the trustworthiness of the Father who has sent the Lord Jesus Christ on his saving mission. That the word of God is a reliable word. That the Father is to be trusted in the promises 
that he makes to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, to hear Jesus' word in the right way entails uh, believing the Father. That word requires a response of faith. We're not simply to hear it and set it aside, ignore it, think, well, perhaps I will give attention to it at some time in the future. I don't really feel I need it uh, at the moment. No, the word comes with the very authority of God himself. It demands a response of faith if sinners are to be saved. It must be received in faith. By nature, of course. We are dead in transgressions and sins. That's how Paul uh, describes us in Ephesians 2.1. That is what we naturally are. And we need to be made alive by the Holy Spirit in order to be able to believe. We are not for a moment uh, questioning the sovereignty of God and salvation. We must be made alive by the miracle of the Spirit of God in order to believe. But we have the responsibility to believe. The call, the summon, the command of God to sinners is to believe. Believe that gospel word that is proclaimed. And it's belief that involves more than just our intellects. It's more than simply ticking off a list of theological propositions. It's a believing that involves every part of us. Our thinking, certainly. But our feeling, our willing. It is a word that requires action. Biblical saving faith requires commitment to the God whose word this is. It demands action. The obedience of faith. Commitment to the God proclaimed in the gospel. To the Savior who has done such a glorious work for sinners like us. The gospel requires that response. And indeed, preachers have not preached the gospel faithfully unless they confront sinners with that demand. We are not to preach the gospel simply presenting the facts of what Christ has done and then in effect say, well, take it or leave it, it's up to you. We need to issue the command and the call of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Put your trust in him for salvation. That's how we must preach the gospel if we are to be faithful messengers. No one who hears the gospel message is to be left in any doubt of the response that God requires. Believing. Hearing his word, believing him who sent him. But alongside believing, this verse also presents to us receiving. Receiving. Because the Lord Jesus, having set out the requirement to believe, to believe the word that he proclaimed, goes on to speak of the blessings that are received 
by those who do hear that word, who do believe the one who sent him, who respond in the way that is required. Rich blessings that should delight the heart of a Christian as we remember what the Lord has done and will do for us in Christ. What do we receive? Well, we receive, first of all, life. Life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It is the most general of statements regarding all who believe, all who trust in Christ. Each one receives this gift of eternal life. There are not different grades of Christians. Some more saved than others. Some with more life than others. All who hear, all who believe, have eternal life. What is eternal life? We need to understand what it is that the Lord grants us. Eternal life. Our first thought might be, well, it is life that never ends. And it most assuredly is life that never ends. It will continue throughout all eternity. But it is so much more than unending life. Eternal life in the scriptures is the life of the age to come, the life of the kingdom that Christ proclaimed. A life enjoyed by those who enter under his reign, become citizens of the kingdom, children of God. That is the life that he grants to us. Eternal life. Life of the coming age already enjoyed here and now. And you see something of that reflected in different places in the scriptures. For example, in Ephesians 2. Paul describes believers being seated with God in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And that's a present reality. Paul does not say one day we will be seated. But we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now as a present reality. We're united to the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And already we begin to experience the life to the full that he came to give us. That's how he speaks of it in John 10, 10. Come that they may have life, have it to the full. And that is Christ's gift to his people. Verse 21, the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it eternal life, the life of the kingdom, the life of the age to come already granted to us. And isn't that what stands out in this verse? The person who hears, who believes, has eternal life. Not simply that we will have eternal life, but we do now as a present possession, have that eternal life. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you have that new life as a gift of God. We do not need to await death or the final resurrection to begin to experience eternal life. Here, now, in the circumstances of this world, already the people of God have eternal life. The Lord Jesus says, again, John 10, at verse 28, he says, I give them, that's my sheep, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. In a profound sense, we can say that we share the life of Christ in the circumstances of this present world. That's the wonder of eternal life. It is the present experience of every believer. We have entered the kingdom. We begin to experience the life of the kingdom with even greater glory still to come. In the receiving, we receive life. We also receive liberty. Liberty. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And on the face of it, that could appear to be a fearful thing. To realize that we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Is that not a terrifying prospect? How can we contemplate standing there before the Holy One who knows exhaustively all that is in our hearts, all that we've ever done or thought? Is that not terrifying? How can we dare to contemplate such a thing? And yet, to the praise of of God's grace, we are told here, that the believer will not be condemned, will not come into judgment. There's no contradiction. No contradiction between Paul saying we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and the Savior himself saying that those who believe do not come into judgment. Because Christ is speaking of a condemnatory judgment. That's why in some translations it is will not come into condemnation. Yes, we will appear before the judgment seat. But we are not afraid that there we will be condemned. That the consequences of our sin and our disobedience will be poured out upon us in the judgment of God. We will appear before Christ as the judge. Undoubtedly so. But because of what he himself has done for us in his life, his death, his resurrection, the verdict that will be passed at that judgment will not be one of condemnation, but rather we will be vindicated. We will be declared righteous before the judge himself. And the reason is that that judge has taken our sin, our punishment. He 
has served our sentence completely and fully. And there is no more punishment to be visited upon us. As we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The whole weight of the sins of all of his people laid upon Christ. And he bore the punishment. Can we not begin in even a, a small way to understand what he went through in Gethsemane, the prospect of bearing that burden for us, the sinless one punished for our sin. And so we will stand before the seat of a judge who has taken our guilt and our punishment. And so he can declare us righteous. And that is exactly the same truth as Paul proclaims when he deals with the subject of justification, particularly in Romans, but elsewhere. Because in justification, those who by nature are sinners are declared not, not simply not guilty. That, that itself would be wonderful, but we are declared positively righteous and we are counted as having the very righteousness of Christ. The judge has taken our guilt and we receive the righteousness of Christ. Perfect righteousness. And so when the Lord declares us righteous, it's not some fiction, it's not some make-believe that was accusation that was raised against the reformers, for example. It's all make-believe. You're pretending that, that, that bad people are good people. No, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ himself. And so the only just verdict on us is that we are righteous in God's sight. We are justified through faith as as Paul tells us in Romans 5.1. And so we will stand before the Lord righteous in every respect. Romans 8.1 tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is true liberty. The bondage that holds us fast. The bondage from which we cannot escape. The bondage of sin and of Satan has been broken by Christ. And we are set free. The burden is lifted. That is true liberty. Much talked in the world, of course, of freedom. Freedom of different kinds. Some of it good and worthy, but... This is true liberty. Liberty from the wrath and the judgment of a holy God on our sin. The sin has been taken by the Son of God. The burden is lifted and we are set free. Do you know that freedom today? Do you live as someone set free 
by the glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bondage broken. You're free to serve God and to seek his glory and to grow in the likeness of his Son. So often Christians seem to live as if they were still in bondage and they're still burdened. Here's the word of the gospel that tells you you're free in Christ and the bondage is broken. You receive liberty. Life. Liberty. And finally, security. Security. And that's implied at the end of our text. The Lord Jesus says of those who believe, such a one has passed from death to life, or has crossed over from death to life. Those are words that are full of assurance for the Lord's people. And so often, of course, Christians struggle with assurance. Maybe you do, or maybe you have done, or perhaps you will do. Struggle with assurance. Am I really a child of God? Perhaps once I believe, maybe someday I will lose that salvation. Perhaps you fear you have done something that has lost that salvation. And so you're fearful. And you lack assurance. Here's a word of the Lord to give you that assurance, to strengthen it if you already have it. If you hear his word, if you believe, then you have passed from death to life. If you've experienced deliverance from spiritual death, if you've entered into eternal life, the Lord is assuring you that you will not return down that road. This truly is the ultimate one-way trip. There is no return. You will travel in only one direction from death to life. And Christ emphasizes it, underlines it, when he uses a perfect tense when he speaks about that passing, that crossing over. We're not, we won't have a language uh, lesson, valuable though it might be, but one simple thing to remember is a Greek perfect tense speaks of something that happened in the past and that has ongoing consequences now in the present. And so Christ in that one word is telling us that the believer has crossed over and stays crossed over and will not and cannot go back. We travel from death to life, but it is not possible to return from life to death to fall back into spiritual death and separation from God. This is the work of the grace of the Lord. It is irreversible. It is unchangeable. 
It's not because of our strength of faith or because of our persistence. If you were depending on that, you'd be lost in a moment. We are depending on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he brings us across into the place of life, we will remain there. We will never die again. We will not go back. And of course, the reason for our security is the certainty of the work of our Savior. It all depends on him. This is the one who says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And he reiterates it there when he says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. It could not be any more clear or definite. There is no power that can snatch us out of the hand of Jesus. And he will not cast us out. We are safe and secure. We have eternal security in Christ. Not that we become complacent. We are to show that we are saved sinners by our delighted obedience to his commandments. We demonstrate we are saved. But our salvation and our security depend utterly on the finished work of Christ. No one can snatch us out of his hand. And so we have security now. And the assurance of future glory that cannot be forfeited, cannot be lost. If you're struggling with assurance... If you're filled with doubts today, am I going to lose my salvation? Am I going to do something terrible and I will become unsaved and go back into death? The Lord says that cannot happen. You have passed from death to life. And your loving Savior keeps you secure. And you will never go back. What a glorious salvation we receive it is rich it is full it should delight our hearts if we have heard the word of christ if we believed in the one who sent him in christ we have life in its fullness in christ we have liberty from all that held us in bondage in christ we have security he will never let us go. We will never pass from life to death. His work is perfect. It is complete. And we are safe. May the Lord encourage the hearts of his people with these great truths. May we be able to rest at peace in Christ for all that he has done for us and the certainty of that work. All to the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father, we come with praise, with thanksgiving for the salvation that is ours in Christ. We marvel that he should love us and give himself for us. 
Lord, may we rejoice in the blessings of that salvation. May we delight in all that has been provided, the life and the liberty and the security. And Father, if there should be those here today who as yet have not come to Christ, have not yet received that eternal life, grant, Lord, that they might come, repentance and in faith, and trust in Christ for salvation, and enter into the joys of eternal life. In his precious name we pray. Amen.